0: Do you
1: like our owl? How many questions does it usually take to spot? I don't get it, Tyrell. How many, How many questions? 20, 30, cross-referenced. Fiery the angels fell. Deep thunder rolled around their
0: shores, burning with the fires of Hulk.
1: You models are happy, the
2: shit. Seen a miracle. You imagined it was you. Oh you did. You did.
1: We all wish it was us. That's why we believe. All the best memories are hers.
2: Welcome to Should of Orion, the Blade Runner podcast. I'm your host, Jamie Prater, and I'm joined by my co-host... Peter from the Midwest. Welcome, Peter. How are you doing? I'm doing good. This is awesome. I'm very excited yes, for is. this episode. Me too. And uh, tonight... We are here to talk about the costumes of Blade Runner, specifically 2019, but we are going to get into 2049, and uh, just the whole discussion about costuming people in the future and what that is and how we perceive that. But before we get into that, I wanted to introduce Christian Matska, a friend of ours. Christian is a host, a co-host on Perfect Organism, the Alien Saga podcast, and I extended an invitation to him uh, to be on the show after he... Me, I guilted gnome, you into it <laughs> that he wanted to be on the show, and I thought it would be a perfect fit. So here you are, and welcome to the show, Christian. Thank you. I kind of feel like
1: I'm a, a DVD extra by Charles Delacroix, <laughs> just combining the worlds.
2: So before we actually talk about costuming and all of that, and the world sort of world building of Blade Runner, the question that we always like to ask new guests on the show is. Well, how did you get into Blade Runner? What what are your first memories of it? And were you a kid? Were you a teenager? What was that like?
1: So it was definitely something that I was aware of, but, um, and I may have even rented it before this, but in either seventh or eighth grade, so middle school, we were reading 1984 and the teacher decided that it would be a really good idea to follow the reading uh, with a film. And even though there are three film versions already of 1984, There's one with Peter Cushing. There's one with John Hurt. She decided to show Blade Runner as a a film that somehow to her represented the concept of 1984, which is ridiculous. And it was the European cut with the extra violence, but that was just fine. We could see the eye gouging, but she had to hide Zora's breasts in that one shot. So I just have this very clear memory of my teacher going up and putting her hand over the television just for that one scene, so. Yep. That was, that was, if not the first time, that was the most enjoyable time to, you know, to kind of, to enter that world with, with my completely shocked classmates who had no idea what they were getting into. And, uh, and then I was hooked
2: hooked in what way? like as I feel like all of us as we got older we started processing Blade Runner in a different way like, oh, oh, I get it now. Oh, I get it now. And it's not like, oh cool sci-fi, this looks cool. When we were younger it, it, then we inter, you know we internalize it like oh, there's some heavy stuff happening here, you know that it's not that I didn't really notice as a child. Was there a progression for you? or some fans are just like, no, hey, I, I, I like the world building. I like the the tech, I like the ships. That's why I love it. Um, are do you find yourself more in that camp or what? It is, it's clearly one of the
1: most immersive films that it doesn't explain itself. It just starts presenting images and asks you to just agree to go along on the ride, I guess. Oh man, I, I think it might have been when the spinner lands on the police station and and you have that pan down of of the uh, is it a, is it a train station that they used for the yes for the, the Union Station and, and you see all the 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 schmutz on the top of the building and, and just like or the the little room it just it just grabbed me it's like okay, I want to live in this world, but at the same time it's very frightening there's a there's such a sense of you, you don't even understand what deckard is doing necessarily he he's and this was this is with the voiceover of course at this point so it's telling you all these things, but they don't always add up what, what he says he's doing what he's physically doing um it sometimes are at odds with each other a little bit, which weirdly. Is a is a trick that uh, Murnau did with with Nosferatu back in the day, where the the title card would tell you, you know, Mina is waiting for Jonathan Harker to come back, but then the next shot is her at the beach waiting for a boat to come, and he didn't go by boat. Dracula or Nosferatu in this case comes by boat. So you get mm-hmm. that sense of what the what the narrative is telling you blatantly, and then what the action is telling you, so you get a little of that that kind of thing happening in Blade Runner as well. Of you know I. I feel very strongly that people should watch the voiceover version first and then experience the other versions, but you'll lose people if you do that. So I guess you can't Mm -hmm. really, Mm I don't know. Um, But to answer your question, it really is how complete that movie uh, universe feels. You know, when, when Decker is chasing Zora through the streets, every single person that he passes feels like they have a story that you could just, the camera could, Could veer off and follow one of them for a while, and you'd find out all kinds of amazing things. So, uh, just there isn't anything else like that.
2: Mm. Agreed. Well, and with that, I think that would be. This is a great time to move into the topic in terms of certainly our perception of sci-fi and and a sci-fi future, which is definitely why we're here in terms of costuming and when we first started noticing it. And I think that there's a lot. I mean, I grew up with Star Trek and. Forbidden Planet and a bunch of different, more, you know, 2001, so many different movies. And then I kind of moved into a different sphere as I got into a late, as I, you know, became a late teenager and that kind of thing. So I started noticing things more, but I'll go into that in a little bit. So maybe we can start with you, Peter. Like what, what was your first, what was your first exposure to like a future and what it might look like?
0: Yeah, no, that's, that's a great way to start. Um, I think, For me, I'm trying to think I I have referenced several times, you know, my my big experience with Blade Runner has a lot to do with my dad and his introduction of me to it, watching it down in the basement, those kind of things. Um, And so I'm trying I was really trying before the episode to try and put it in some form of timeline. but It was really hard because trying to figure out where I was around eight or nine, I think was the first viewing of Blade Runner with my dad. And trying to figure out you know, what movies, what years, and that just got too hard. So I'm just going to do it more feeling and just in general. I think in general, my conception of the future prior to watching Blade Runner for the first time had to have been, you know, number one, probably Transformers. I don't recall if I had seen, you know, the movie with Orson Welles in it yet, um, but I'd say, you know, things like Transformers, things like Tron, uh, most definitely Star Trek. Like you mentioned, my dad was a big fan, watched that a lot. Maybe like Buck Rogers type, you know, just a lot of that serial, futuristic, um, you know, mid-century design, flashy stuff, silver, gold, bright colors, everything's fantastic. Um, So that was really my thing. I think... Um, And just, you know, keeping in the theme and to your original question in the introduction regarding, you know, costuming at that time, again, that goes to, I think, sort of brighter things, a lot of flashy buttons, and again, just um, an overall kind of, I don't know if the right word would be opulence, but just sort of excess. The future seemed very excess, bright, wonderful. And it just seemed like a place he wanted to go. So that was sort of my first thing. And, you know, Tron was a little bit more, it's not even close, of course, to Blade Runner. But that was a little bit of an introduction to sort of a darker, you know, I remember sort of the colors fading and the gray and the red and so that was kind of the first one where it was, I even remember being a little scared um, first time watching that as a kid. But so, yeah, overall, the future was bright, fantastic, something to look forward to, I think is the best way to put it.
1: I was raised very much on Doctor Who and Star Trek Next Generation. And, you know, with, with little bits of, of like Space 1999 or um, old Lost in Space. And like Lost in Space in particular, the spacesuits were so fitted that they couldn't sit down easily. And that, that aesthetic carries over into a lot of Star Trek as well of like, you know, there is no breathing room at all. And you, you don't have any sense of these outfits really existing in a world There it's more, and Doctor Who was like that too, Of you know, the, it, the costume represents a culture and we only had a week to make it. So here, you know, here's, this is what a Gallifreyan looks like. like. Okay. And so when you look at Blade Runner and you have that sense of a lived-in, um, a lived-in quality or a distinct quality for different characters, when you look at the the leisure clothes on the Next Generation or in the Star Trek movies from the '80s, no one has a particular style really. Actually, I take that back. In in um, uh, Wrath of Khan, we see them in their in their their normal clothes, like for Kirk's birthday or something, and they're terrible. It's like very weirdly '70s dated stuff, but it's it's still very costumey. It doesn't have that sense of you know you, you anyone would be really wearing these things.
2: Yeah, uh, I, similarly, Doctor Who for me certainly as a kid, and then original. I started watching the original Star Trek, obviously reruns, and those were my first exposure to a future and what a future might look like. And and then I moved into the next generation in Deep Space Nine, and certainly maybe some Buck Rogers here and there. And I didn't really like. Doctor Who was weird, though, because it wasn't really a future. It wasn't really, it is sci-fi, but it's sci-fi in a different galaxy, almost. It's not Earth's future. It's wherever planet they're on. You know, it's interesting. And then, of course, my doctor is Tom Baker. I mean, even though I was in reruns when I was a kid, that's who I loved. You know, he was, you know, the long curly hair, the long, you know, very Harry Potterish long scarf. And I love Tom Baker, but he just was this quirky dresser and, um, but depending on what planet they are on their getups would be different or at least his sidekicks getups would be different because he'd always be wearing the same thing um, I can't remember the names of his sidekicks at the moment usually women um, they'd be dressed up in whatever the planet people were dressed up in um, and then like as I moved on to Star Trek the early versions or the early the first series and then next generation which kind of relaunched the whole IP, I remember even as a kid watching Star Trek and enjoying it, but always being taken out of it by what they wore. Cause I was like, this is ridiculous. They look ridiculous. It didn't seem plausible. It didn't seem realistic. And I remember in start in next generation, when the show first launched, they were all in these jumpsuits. And then at about season two, season three, they changed from to shirts and pants and he, and the captain always would be pulling his shirt down. Remember when he'd sit, he'd pull it down. A like um, hard maneuver. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And it seemed a little bit more realistic, but Star Trek in general, just in terms of that future and how they talked and how they looked, it just was like, eh, it's not really believable. I mean, I knew, I knew it just, it just seemed overly cheesy. And I think their costumes and the sets married to the stories that they were telling, all of it was very saccharine, very uh, sanitized, this kind of sanitized future where we're all we're not as individualistic anymore and it's all about the common good which i could understand in terms of the federation but it never really it it didn't really like pull me in the way other sci-fi started pulling me in and i'm trying to think of like the first thing i, I, I don't want to go into alien but certainly before blade runner there was alien when i really took a notice of like oh They're not dressed in these futuristic, flashy costumes. They look just like you and me. And it seemed believable. And because what they're wearing seemed believable, it scared me more.
0: No, I think that's a a great point. I think a lot of what I heard you saying, Jamie, and both of you guys is is sort of the costumed versus sort of a, I don't know, it's all costumes because it's all movies. So we got to sort of somehow delineate those two, but- it all seemed costumed, like a lot of what you're talking about in, in Star Trek is you're, everyone in every scene seemed dressed by wardrobe.
2: Mm-hmm. Someone,
0: here's your uniform for Star Trek, and I think that's a great example, sort of bringing Alien in, which is a great thing for for you guys <laughs> and, <laughs> and our special guest. Um, but no, that was one of the first movies I remember seeing, even just as a teenager, um, that all of a sudden the movie costumes weren't costumes it was sort of a practical clothes that you would wear when you're working in the belly of a large spaceship oil rig um and so that's yeah i think that's a great start and i think that's a big part of what how blade runner was sort of changed a lot of things because all of a sudden you had this future world but yet people were wearing what people would wear 30 years from now And rather than a a costume, and again, I think, and I'll go into this a little more as we sort of get into characters and what we really enjoy about the costume, but it was just sort of a, every character appeared to be in clothes that you would be in the environment, rather than every character being careful, what seemed to be carefully costumed to The show, like in Star Trek, again, the background character even seems like, you know, wardrobe came over and adjusted things. And of course, they did that in 2019, and that's how they achieved what we love so much. But it came off as just there's a guy in the background wearing what a guy in the background of that city would be wearing. It was such a more hyper realism, earth costuming than a futuristic whatever we're talking about i'm sort of losing the thread here but you and you know i I think you guys at least follow me a little
1: bit here (laughs) in 2019 there's what i now recognize as a uh a throwback like the the costuming is intentionally harking back to an earlier time but for years when i watched it that didn't ever that never occurred to me i i just i missed the fact that it was supposed to be um a noir in that sense maybe it's because he's not wearing a fedora you know, the Deckard, he has the coat, but then the, the colors, he's, its an incredibly colorful um, palette that they gave to that character, uh, which again, I think it's a Ridley Scott thing of he's not content to have things be monochromatic. It's why the, 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 the patch for the Nostromo has a rainbow on it. You know, there's, there's these little splashes of color that they could be whimsical or they could be um, almost darkly. So because, that seems so bright and hopeful and then the world that it's existing in is not. And the same thing with Deckard, he's got, you know, um, these fancy sort of Southwestern shirts and these, these checkered ties and there's, there's color to them, you know, but if you had put a fedora on him and you had desaturated the look, absolutely. You have that, um, that, that film noir quality.
0: Yeah. I think again, sort of what I was trying to convey, you did a very good job of, of explaining as well, but, uh... For me, and I'm really, you know, Jamie. A lot of this is leading up to me just wanting to hear you talk about Rachel and her her costuming and (laughs) what it means to the character. And so, but for me, a lot of what sold Blade Runner and continues to sell Blade Runner to me and makes me lose myself in the world um, is all the the supporting characters. Um, I remember, you know, what I really enjoy is that again, they're not costumed um you take someone like leon and in the initial scenes with holden other than you know of course the actor's face you would have no idea that leon is a quote-unquote bad guy or you know he's not dressed like a villain um he's in just sort of again utilitarian type clothes um And, you know, even Holden and Holden himself, he's not in some sort of he's he's a Blade Runner, which apparently to us when you're first viewing it is seems to be some sort of elite class of law enforcement or something like that. And still is. But yet Holden's in sort of a a rundown suit. I mean, it's even he's not even dressed as, you know, like a a plainclothes officer or what, you know, most movies would use as the detective look. You know, the badger on the neck and the typical, you know, think of any Mark Wahlberg role. Um, he's just dressed in a, you know, probably the one suit he owns, um, which has been damaged by the atmosphere and the walking around the city, just as if you were walking around Chicago or New York or anywhere and your suit would get old. And so that's sort of what's always really, to me, kept that world building and just kept you in that world is they're all dressed as if. They lived in it also. And again, not costumed to meet or to project their character. It's it's the story, it's the dialogue, it's the care of sort of letting it talk for itself um, in, a, in, the, in a lot of ways that you've described. So again, for me, you know, it's the characters like Holden, it's Leon, it's sort of those side characters that really keep that going rather than sort of, painting everyone in a, in in these bright brushes or it's, here's the bad guy through clothing and stuff so it's very cool.
2: And what's interesting about their costumes is opposed to their environment is you know we're opened to Hades landscape and he's flying through or there's a you know a spinner flying through and we get closer to the Tyrell pyramids and so you see this really beautiful I don't know what a this really beautiful structure and insider kind of plain clothed people Holden's dressed like a business associate um, and what I love about that is it's pretty realistic because if we look at our our own timeline now our technology is really advancing but we're still dressing in relatively the same things here and there. Maybe some of our shoes are changing. Shoes look like tennis shoes look really different. They look really Star Trekky almost, uh, depending on what brand that you buy. They're really like big and white and they got really big like outside lips and they're just very odd looking, but we're more surrounded by technology that's futuristic than we are our dress. So for me, Blade Runner sells it right away that you just kind of have regular people who because it's usually people who can't afford the environment like they're living it so yeah like Holden's there at, at the Tyrell office to question or do a uh, a VK test with Leon but he doesn't work there he doesn't own it and that's kind of always the case we might be in really luxurious areas but the corporations own it we're just kind of the pawns or and so i love what they did with the costumes where they kept the costumes really relatable they kept them very simple um and i don't want to jump way too far ahead but what i do think is funny is if you do jump ahead to 2049 and we meet deckard again there was a lot of criticism that deckard looked kind of like what was what was he wearing but honestly he's look at what leon was wearing when we met leon he's essentially wearing a smock like a this white shirt and these very utilitarian pants he was just kind of and Deckard kind of looked very similar in 2049. He's just kind of plain, um, and it kind of worked, um, but it was jarring. But that's the future of Blade Runner, even in 2019. And even if the, the fashions were like crazy and angular and flashy and kind of typical science fiction, the only people who would be wearing those type of clothes are the ruling party who could afford them. The poor would have to make do with what they have. The poor would have to make a version of that. You'd see like a version of that hit the streets that, you know, for $40 so that somebody in downtown LA can purchase it or whatever the prices are at that point. So usually even, you know, the high, the couture is never available to the public, or if it is that public would have to be a millionaire to, to, to buy it. And that's really reflective to me in the different kind of levels of society that were introduced to the replicants and even you know the, the, the Blade Runners are there are nobody I mean we, we see Deckard Deckard's a nobody he's 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 a pawn for the police he doesn't I mean we don't really know the whole Deckard thing we don't know who he belongs to um, and their clothing really reflects that kind of humdrum life of the poor
0: he say you Blade Runner
1: tell him I'm eating
0: Captain Brian up.
1: I just have to say about the um, the old Deckard in his t-shirt pants. I, you know, I, I challenge you to give me a better look for him because you either he's, he's literally in his, his home. He lives in this building with no one else around. So if you put him in fancy clothes, what's he doing? Does he get dressed up and put a tie on every day? And if you put him in like Mad Max sort of clothes, it becomes a performance. And so as much as I don't like the t-shirt and slacks look, I I think it's weird. I don't think there's actually a better version. It just.
2: There is. Uh Have you seen the, Uh have you seen the conceptual designs of Deckard? So initially he was dressed in this poncho, like a rain poncho, but I don't think it was a rain poncho. And he had a really long white beard. Um, And when he got to Budapest, he had a really long white beard, but they changed to the look at the last minute to something more identifiable and recognizable. But that original look, you should—I'll sh- I'll show you a photo. I thought it was great. I thought it was—it wasn't so much sci-fi. He looked like old mage, like or an old like. He looked like Gandalf a little bit, but he isn't Gandalf, so why? It makes sense that they brought it back. But I really liked what they came up with. Wow!
0: And again, and, you know, I don't want to. Spend our initial time here in 2049, but still, um, you know, Deckard isn't that far off from, again, my favorite part and what keeps me in the background characters. I mean, you look to Mr. Cotton, and essentially, he's got a trench coat and a hoodie on. Again, you know, you take what people were going to be wearing, one, what I'm terrible at doing math right now, but <laughs> the future from today. I'm still probably going to have some old hoodie and there's going to be some old trench coat laying around. And again, so, you know, you take the background, the people living out in the world, Mr. Cotton's in a hoodie and a trench coat. And so why does it not make sense that Deckard would be in a t-shirt and some pants? Yeah. So Mm -hmm. again, it's just, but that it's so relatable. And again, Jamie, I love what you keep talking about as far as the technology around them differing, and are being far more advanced than the clothing. And again, you know that's probably true because what are we spending all our time and resources on? You know the technology around us, and not sort of. And what are you going to be able to afford? Whatever's laying around and still around, and I don't know. You just think of some collie pot and brand with polyester that'll probably last forever. So you got the sweatshirt still years yeah.
2: from now. So and then, I don't like, know. The, and then you see like the Met Gala, which happens every year, and. You see the ultra rich and the ultra famous show up in these clothes that are a bit futuristic and also incredibly unaffordable. So unaffordable they, that they are either rented by them or they're, you know, Gucci or someone says, Hey, would you wear a dress or would you wear a suit? Um, but still, only the uber rich have access to that, you know?
0: And it's not something that you're gonna run around the streets, you know, you're totally, you're, you're at the Met, you're doing the event. You're not going to go out and hail a cabinet, You're not going to go down into the subway in it because you're mm-hmm. going to trip. You're not going to be able to survive or otherwise walk around in it. Mm-hmm. So that's why, I, again, just Blade Runner, similar to the Air, Alien. Um, I think a lot about Alien Three and you know just the the outfits there. They're just simple cotton, what looks like some sort of scratchy prison outfit. Um, Not probably dissimilar to what you'd wear today. So again, it's yep. it's it's those hi- sort of hyper realism future that keeps you in it more so than everyone costumed up so mm-hmm.
2: but then you have your yeah. tweaks like zora zora who wears that you know see-through jacket and it just tweaks it a little bit it's still a jacket like any other jacket it's just see-through i don't know who came up with that i mean i know that uh i think charles node is the or does is that, is that right name i think yep. Node. yes and, and he was and michael the, kaplan yes uh for 2049 um
1: Mm-mm. no for the original
2: Oh, he did the original too. That's right. That's right. Yeah. And again, it was just a small little tweak on something that's an everyday item. And that really made it, it just took it one step further. Like, oh, wow, look at this. It's see-through. I don't know why see-through means sci-fi, but it does. It does. So much so that in 2049, you see Um, joy with a similar outfit. It's Mm -hmm. I think it's a a, a yellow hue, but it's still very see-through. And I like that in 2019 that they threw that in there and it just, it pushed or it created that sci-fi world just a little bit more for us. I think this isn't, yes, there are some familiar things here, but this isn't wholly familiar. There are some new things.
1: The the outfit that she's wearing underneath the see-through has some very interesting ribbing or, it's it, the texture of it's kind of cool. So it's neat that there's a layering that's happening. And then, you know, to have her running by all of the umbrellas with the, you know, the, the neon and everything, it, which again, actually is a brilliant idea. I'd like one of those you know, in the dark. Um, now for me, it's, it's all about the, um, the people at Taffy Lewis's and the people on the street. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm obsessed with the background extras, the punks, and mm-hmm. the, uh, Hare Krishna's. And there are, um, there are a couple of soldiers that are wearing these sort of berets that also have ear coverings, and they have all these interesting patches on them. And I want a story about them. You know, that's, that's my Black Lotus. I want to, I want to know what their deal was, (laughs) but no one wants to fund that one.
0: No, yeah, I, I think what you know, when you start talking texture and all that too, it's it sort of harkens back to, you know, you see a lot of the World War II movies, and some of the most interesting stuff about that is the 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 military issue stuff that today would be so, you know, almost garish in some ways, you know, having just such a, a thick um wool coat or just some of the the um, you know the excess um medals or just detailing to then signify ranks and stuff like that. And I think they took not so much that, but they just took that just in the 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 texture, um the f- you know, we don't feel it, but apparently, you know, just the, the heavy look of some of the clothes, Deckard's coat, of course, the, you know, the the blade runner coat, um, the higher collar necklines and stuff like that a lot of that is just you can see the utilitarian part of that too or if it's just always either you know acid you know acid type rain or just poor conditions or just sort of anything like that you know having that collar to sort of be a shield to the elements around just the normal city life and it's just it's just really interesting and again so much is done with just These sort of blah colors and sort of, sort of uh, what appear to be uncomfortable textures, Hmm. and it's great. Again, it's it's just it's wonderful the way that they don't tell the story in costume yet all the story is believable through the costume.
2: And to your point, Christian, in terms of the Harry Krishnas and the people on the streets, what I love about that the texture of those people is you have whether they're people wearing like the Vietnamese. Farmer hat like the the real flat, I, I don't even know what you'd call those, but there's a few of them. And so they're they're in they're in frame, and then you see Harry Krishnas, and then you see just people from different cultures all meshing into one. And that felt just that. And they're not dressed futuristically, they're dressed in traditional, but they're all like thrown into the same. And it felt authentically futuristic. Um, that cultures as we progress um our cultures kind of merge a little bit and i it reminds me of cuz i was in england in october no i was in england in november and walking down the street like in england there there's asian culture there's black culture there's indian culture and they're all just kind of out there and it's a very different experience than it is here in this country unless maybe you're in a big metropolis like New York City or you're like in Times Square, which I was also there recently in Times Square felt like Blade Runner. It felt like that kind of central area in Blade Runner because everyone from every different country in the world is right there at that moment. Um, And so you can see people in kimono. You can see people in all sorts of different um, traditional dress or culturally appropriate dress. And and what I love, I just love that Ridley Scott took the time to realize this is what a future would plausibly be. And on top of that. And for me, a cardinal sin, when I see either in a period film or a a sci-fi film is you see costumes that look brand new. um, And you're like, dude, come on. These are are lived in. Like I, I've been watching, even though it's not a sci-fi, I don't know. I guess it's fancy wheel of time or other shows. And I, I, you know, I've been watching those and I've been looking at their costumes and they're well-made, but it's like, you just pick this costume up from the cleaner. Like, do you live in these costumes? Do you breathe? Like, why does everything look brand new? And in Blade Runner in 2019, everything looks dirty and lived in. And there's a like a mist and uh, the atmosphere has affected the, the different tones of the costume. And that's our future. That's where we're headed. And I, I, I don't believe anything else. Like nothing else seems plausible to me
1: you know what's neat about that of course is the two people whose costumes don't match what you just described are eldon tyrell and rachel mm-hmm. and that's completely on purpose so when rachel walks out which i'm sure you want to talk about jamie but you know when she walks out in that dress with that silhouette you just know like wait a minute this is th- she is a she's out of place in the world that we've just been presented up to this point and so there are questions that come up um do you want to handle
2: that? Well, it's funny you guys say that. You think that oh, Jamie wants to talk about Rachel. Honestly, yeah. my coming into this episode, my who I wanted to talk about more is Deckard in terms of his costume because he looks so normal, and he's the only identifiably 80s. I mean, he looks his costume's a little 80s. It's a little 80s corporate America, just a little bit. But it doesn't pull me out. It's very accurate because you have so many different eras. But to your point, Rachel. At that moment is the ruling class. So of course she stands out. She lives and works ostensibly in um, the Wallace or Wallace in Tyrell's pyramid. You know, so she is she has access to a different level or a different way of life than Zora would or other people might. So to me, Rachel didn't stick out because he was on her turf. He was on Tyrell's turf. She blended in like she just fit right in that environment with the owl and the the water on, you know, the water effects on like, it just worked for me. She didn't stand out. Um, But at the same time, like she did have a newness about her, which makes sense because she was new.
1: And her costuming through the course of the movie does tell that story. You know, Deckard, Deckard gets beaten up and gets bloodied maybe, but she, she unravels, you know, her, her, her costume goes from all structure and padding and everything to just, you know, by the end it's a, what like a soft blouse and her hair is undone and, you know. Um, but without feeling, I don't I don't feel like it's overdone or anything, but you can definitely track her progress as a character through how her costuming is or how it's presented.
2: And Deckard's as well. I mean, by the end, Deckard is in a very soft, hooded sweater. We've talked about this before, Peter, on episodes mm-hmm. that you've been on. Deckard is much more in the beginning, he's all, you know, he's all, he's got the overcoat on. He's got the tie. He's got everything. And then as the movie progresses, he loses the tie. He, you know, eventually at one point, his shirt comes off, you know, and he's kind of, he's beat up and, um, but he never puts that same costume back on. So by the end, he's completely wrapped in like this warmth, um, which I thought was great. And the best costuming does that, right? It it tells the story of the character.
0: Oh yeah. I, I've, 100 percent agree and and sort of the uh, it's 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 fun to hear jamie that you know that's your sort of focus is is the deckard and you know to me he always seems sort of more like a, uh, a what you'd imagine a, a college professor trying to dress up you know mm-hmm. it seems like he's got the mismatched tie he doesn't exactly have like the exact suit each piece of that suit seems like he has a, a you know his, his sport coat probably doesn't match his pants, doesn't match the shirt. and so he's, he's just again, it shows what I think they did a great job also then in 2049 transitioning decay as like a working that the blade runners what you seem to suggest is they're this elite class again of, of, of replicant hunting. But yet again they're they're just working guys trying to make the same you know ends meet and probably underpaid and you know for Kay it's living in you know slum housing just like along with everyone and for Deckard it's you know he may you know be able to brush shoulders with Rachel and and Tyrell and sort of the upper class of probably who he services and protects but yet you know they keep him out they keep him at an arm's distance and I think they do a great job of showing that with, with the costuming and then again, going to the to the background characters, you know, Christian, talking about what you're talking about, you know, sort of that fun level between, you know, main character, background character, someone like J.F. Sebastian, who, I mean, he's scrounging those clothes. He's probably, you know, he's... Which is odd, as an independent contractor for Tyrell, you'd think he probably has some lucrative contracts, and I'm, you know, but instead it appears, which may be his... Personality, it goes to him collecting and creating his own little toys, his own little friends. But I mean, from what he's wearing, it looks like he, you know, found someone's, you know, pot on the ground and put it on his head. And, you know, he's wearing similarly like a a leather hat with sort of ear flaps and a coat that's miss, that probably doesn't really fit. Because again, you know, he's out there where Rachel isn't really leaving the confines of Tyrell so she can be in those nicer clothes and doesn't have to function. He's out there scrounging for parts, trying to find ways to develop and create new inventions that could then later be developed into the replicant technology. But he's one of my favorites, just again, because it looks like you could pick any, you know, not to be derogatory, but any sort of homeless person in L.A., and they could be wearing the same thing as Jeff Sebastian. Mm-hmm. Yet he's somehow connected and somehow responsible for developing these futuristic um you know quasi robotic machines that are so fantastical so it's just it's just wild that he's in almost the the drabbiest of all and then you know you've got roy batty and you know i'm sure they had to change clothes from a uniform to what they could find on the streets too but it's just it's it, it's wonderful just that you know the replicants don't look like future um blonde hair blue eyes um futuristic you know what man wants to be it's just again it's it's just some you know uh, organic mass on some you know manufactured parts i don't know how best to describe it but it's just yeah. it's fantastic jf is probably one of my favorite heights of the costuming in
2: 2019 you know what's interesting i this is i don't <laughs> i'm just gonna say so rainbow bright had a like a friend Um, And he dressed like J.F. Sebastian. They look similar. Like, I don't know, like, because J.F. Sebastian has like, I can't really describe it. You just have to, I'll show you a photo Uh, after this episode is over. I'll send you a text or whatever. But he reminds me of Rainbow Bright, just the coloring or something or the the jacket too, or Rainbow Bright's friend. And Rainbow Bright dressed a little bit. Of course, they were bright, flashy. But I just mean the. Yeah, yeah. There was just something. Yeah, it's like, that's total rainbow bright. It's just drab. Um, uh, I I love his costume, too. And, you know, as we're talking about J.F. Sebastian, I think about Pris. And she was essentially dressed in tatters. Yes. And was there anything futuristic about her? Or, like, what did her costume say about her? Her costume said, much like her, she's considered garbage. She was barely dressed in anything. Um, Like, her stockings were being were in tatters. She had this like undershirt on and then like, I think she had like a bra under that and very fitted to her body. She was lethal for sure. I mean, she could fight obviously as we've seen um, but her costume was very interesting as well. It it, it didn't, it, it's just a part of that whole um, aesthetic of this dingy excavated future that seemed more realistic than this. You know, I mean, but at the same time, the future for the poor is always going to be different than the future for the rich blade runner is what we're seeing is a future of the poor. The only rich people we see are, is Tyrell. And then as we, you know, if we get into Tyrell, you can see what he's wearing. He's wearing, a, you know, like a, a, what's that kind of suit with the, with the white flap in front of it? What's that? It's not a tuxedo. Is it a tuxedo or isn't it called something else? Didn't he have like a long white. He had like a, like a maybe front. Like yeah. his pajamas?
1: <laughs> well, that was the, the amazing quilted robe. Yeah. You know, oh man, that, that he that he dies in.
2: Yeah.
1: Um okay, I got a whole bunch of things. But just quick are you guys familiar with Metropolis? You know, obviously yeah. there's there's lots of, of comparisons, but um this is weird, but in when they discovered more footage, because this is one of those movies that it, it had a very long runtime and it, it got cut down and the footage that was excised was lost right. and then it was refound. But it, one of the things, and this, this post dates, the discovery post dates Blade Runner. Um, but one of the scenes that, that they found and put back in, there's a character who is, he has slick back hair and he's wearing these, these very similar glasses with the, with the multiple frames to the glasses that the Eldon Tyrell wears. But unless there were stills or something floating around, I can't see how the, uh, the costume designers could have known to have referenced this. But my goodness, I, I'll try to do a side-by-side comparison because it's uncanny how much these two characters look alike. They don't have the same status. This character is more of a butler, but that was always the joke, wasn't it? That they hired the bartender from The Shining to play um, the, the leader of this corporation. Anyway, J.F. Uh, Sebastian is actually my least favorite costume in the film because it pulls me out. It feels very, um, well, it, I'm, my eye is drawn to it and my brain says, what's going on here? But when you look at the vehicle that he drives, it's, it's all patchwork as well. It's, it's pieces put together. And then you look at the home that he lives in and it's all pieced together. He's, he's accumulating all of this stuff and creating a world. And so... When, when you get that little, that one line about that, that implies that he can't go off world, that whatever his condition is keeps him on earth, then it all kind of starts to fit that he may have money, but this is how he chooses to dress. This is how, this is the world that he's created in his costuming, in his vehicle, and in his home, and then the friends that he's created. And so... The roundabout way of saying, once I think all those things, I like it. I think that it's a good match. And like I was saying with with um, Harrison Ford's wardrobe in 2049, I can't imagine a better look for JF Sebastian than the one that we got. It just, it pulls me out more than anyone else's. I
0: like that. I like that. Yeah. I like, first of all, your, your pushback on that. Um, and then also as you're talking, it makes me think, it would make sense. Cause it seems as if his, he's wearing almost again, like a, a jumper or even like a, a leather um, vest, which if we're following a lot of, you know, the 2049 and things um, as that developed more. And again, the owl, um, whether or not it's real and it, you know, most likely that it's not and that being so expensive, the fact that he has sort of this leather, you um, almost like utility vest on that had to have been very expensive. And then if you look at the details, it has all these pockets likely for his tools and while he's working, so he can just simply grab in there. And again, no, I, I like that. I haven't even ever thought about that. So that's fun that you just sort of opened a whole new world for me on, on his costume, because, you know, that's probably pretty expensive to make a, a, a sort of custom work vest um, that allows him to do all the tinkering that he does. So no, that's that's a really good eye for that. I, I thanks for doing that. <laughs> no, that that's great. No, because that you know that that has to be more expensive than you know just your again your your poly cotton blend sweatshirt or your sort of um, you know sort of um,
2: synthetic um, trench coat or something like that. So that's 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 cool to think about. To your point, Christian, and it almost works because. If you, there's a moment where Chris is looking at JF. She goes, What's your deal? He's like, Methuselah syndrome. Um, He stuck out to her. She knew something was different about him. And his costume says that too. He kind of, I mean, maybe it shouldn't pull you out of the, the world of Blade Runner, but there's something different about Sebastian in his dress, in his face, in the world that he creates, where he might have money, but no matter how much money he has, he cannot get off world because off world is meant for. Almost the the genetically elite um, the people who can afford to because you don't want to infect anyone else you don't want to bring you know I mean I think Staline whether Staline had Galatian syndrome or not, we don't know if that was just a a, a you know a fluke or a way to throw people off um, but if she did they they also don't want people who are sick up off world to infect you know the poor people infect each other the rich do not so you might have money. But you also have to have the genetics. And I feel like with uh, J.F. Sebastian's costume, it represents his, like, something's different about him. And he's off by himself. He's off in his own world. He's made his own friends. He's a sad guy, you know, Um, because no matter how brilliant he is, he's alone. Um, And his weird eccentric costume or clothes that he's made, obviously made for himself, reflect that. To go into Rachel a little bit, I do think that there's a huge progression with her. Whereas when we see her, she's just this, I mean, she's this 1940s femme fatale archetype with her hair and just that, you know, the shoulder pad and just that beautiful costume that she's wearing. And then when we see her again, she's in a different costume and it's a little more patchworky. She's unraveling a little bit and it's darker. And then we see her again and and then she takes it off and you can kind of see the figure of the woman underneath it. And then you see that, that dress that she's wearing, which is one of the best costumes I've ever seen in sci-fi where it's, I think it's light gray on top and it's a different color gray in the middle or black. And then it's like a reddish or a bluish. So it's a, it's a dress. So even her arms are different colors to match the different colors Of the dress and it really speaks to her being assembled the dress is assembled in parts much like she is um and then she she starts crying her makeup i mean so i think of any character in blade runner her costume is as much her as she is um her costume tells her story more than anybody's costume tells her story and it kind of has to you know um she has like six and a half minutes of of dialogue i mean she's you see her, but she doesn't talk a lot. Um, But her costume really, like, I feel like without the decisions that they made for her costume and how it kind of deconstructs the entire time, that's what it's doing. It's deconstructing. It's going from high art glam to like unraveling. Who are you? Let's take this off. Who are you underneath? Let's take down your hair. Let's take off this makeup until I think you said this at the end. Um, Christian, you see her on the on the couch. You, she's almost not even recognizable as the Rachel that we fall in love with in the beginning. She's a woman. She's not this thing. Um, yeah, I, I I do love her per- progress or her digression or progression, whatever you want to call it.
0: No, it's great, and I think you know I was taken aback a little in sort of some of the initial some things that I read about Blade Runner twenty forty nine, particularly when a lot of it was about how, you know, the female characters don't seem to be as important as the male characters. And I think there's been some good pushback to that. And Jamie, you've, you've circulated that article by Sinead um, McCausland, hopefully I'm pronouncing that correctly, um, back in 2017, where she talks about how the costume designs, you know, actually really work for both Blade Runner, the women in Blade Runner and the women in 2049, And I was thinking about that a little bit in context to that when you were mentioning Pris and, you know, her outfit's a little bit ripped, a little bit, you know, tattered. But again, for whatever reason, it doesn't appear to cross that line into, you know, what's more commonly referred to now as sort of the male gaze. And, you know, she's not, other than being, you know, referenced as a pleasure model and some of her fighting style, you know, using a lot of her thighs and, things like that but there's sort of not really that um at least for her and even Zora I mean there's a lot of you know although she again um you know has to work in in sort of a a, you know even a, a sex type industry um they're not portrayed in sort of a let's sit here and look at them from a you know male gaze perspective it's sort of a lot of it is pretty utilitarian and and you can sort of believe that Priss's um the tattered nature of her outfit is based on her trying to survive on the streets at the time trying to survive as they run and try and you know survive their their expiration dates rather than you know, some maybe more modern interpretations of that and other Blade Runner um, IP or things where it just seems like maybe the, you know, derivative characters that have come from it, you know, when they have a tattered panty or, you know, uh, I was going to say pantyhose, but more like leggings or, you know, fishnet stockings or, you know, a lot of it reminds me too of of how the treatment of Ripley How, although a lot of people, you know, find some scenes with her very, you know, sexual in nature, a lot of it is just, it's a utilitarian stripping down to your undergarments before you're getting ready to go into cryo or to get into an outfit. And although those can be raised to that level, um, the movies don't take it there, which I find very refreshing. And again, doesn't take you out of the movie. It doesn't say, oh, this is showcasing this actress, for her body or her looks no a lot of these characters in blade run they showcase the female uh, actor portraying them just through the the strength of their acting and the strength of that character so again I, I think they did a great job of doing that and you know even take someone like love although she's in sort of more tight clothing and stuff it's also very utilitarian for her job which is to efficiently dispatch anyone who stands in the way of Neander wallace Um, so again, just you know, again, this is a male perspective talking about female clothing, but to me, I think it did an excellent job of of keeping that away from sort of tattered just to show a little more skin, you know, that we often crosses the line now in 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 other movies that takes you out of it, you know, the futuristic clothing when typically is much more scantily for no reason. But Blade Runner, I think, does an excellent job of kind of keeping that, and you know, even its main character, who you know is probably one of the most attractive women in the whole series, Rachel. You know, it's all very covered. There's not a lot of skin, and I don't know. I I really enjoyed just the women costuming in the, in the movies for that purpose.
2: And even Zora, like, there's Zora obviously shows the most skin. There's no shots of Dor- Zora bending over. You do see her breasts for a moment, but it's juxtaposed with this. Fierce personality. Like you're there with Zora and she's getting naked in front of you, or at least topless, but you're like, I don't want to look, you know, like you're you, she's got that energy about her, you know. She's not, she is not a sexual object. She might have had this sexual dance or whatever, but like no one's gonna mess with her. And and the gaze isn't a male gaze for her. Um, you just happen to see her breast. It's not sexual. And even with Chris, who is a pleasure model, there could have been many scenes where Scott would have been like, oh, bend over here, you know, any lesser lesser director would have been like, oh, that's she's kind of hot. Why don't we get a little bit of slink in there? Why don't we make it a little bit sexy? He didn't do any of that. He just he he chronicled a character. She's a character um that didn't have a lot you could see it and you could see it on her body she didn't have a lot of clothing she had a little bag with her and that's it but never once were we sexualizing press and yeah that's that's a a rare thing certainly from films in the 80s um and even like talking about Ripley, i mean there's the same famous scene of her and you know and the narcissist and she's stripping down and i've seen like posters people post posters of that and like googling and i'm like that's not what the scene is about like it's not a yeah she her underwear is really small but like do you get like that she's just been fighting for her life and that she's not about to meet her lover like she's getting in a cryo tube like it's very interesting so it's not a, a male gaze at all it's very much uh the most vulnerable moment that she could be in and then I think conversely, Rachel, while she never gets strips down to her underwear, she starts becoming more vulnerable. And what, what do you do when you feel, when you feel safe, safe enough to be vulnerable, you strip thing, you take things off, whether that's emotionally or physically, you take off your hat, you take off your, I'm feeling a little more comfortable here. I'm going to, can I take off my shoes? You know, which also is, was strange was if you see Deckard, Deckard just like pulled off his shirt. Like Deckard didn't even, I don't know how. Rachel would see Deckard. I don't know what, what her sexuality was, but certainly Harrison Ford at that point in his life was a good looking man, a very well-built, well-toned man. And there he is shirtless in his apartment. And I'm curious, like, was did he even know like what was on his mind? What were his intentions? And then later on you can see, because he's he's at the piano with her and her hair is down. So he can sense as, oh, she's getting vulnerable with me. I can like maybe take advantage of her in this moment or take the opportunity. Anyways, it's just a an interesting parallel between both of these characters stripping down and what I believe Deckard saw was her vulnerability being an opportunity. But with Rachel, it might have been, oh, look, this human or whatever doesn't have a shirt on. What's what? just kind of observing him? Because you see her observing him. I don't know. It's just again interesting what costuming is doing at that moment.
1: I find it interesting. Zora is monetizing her sexuality. And I don't feel like she's a particularly sexual person, but she's making money potentially for this little group. You know, this she's the one that's working, right? Mm-hmm. But Pris is weaponizing her sexuality. I feel like she's dressed not in a way that I agree with what Peter was saying. It isn't it isn't sexually revealing or anything, but there is, it's, it's alluring. It, it will draw men in. It's exactly what she needs to look like to get J.F. Sebastian to let her in. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that, I think that she's getting money too by killing people probably. But you know, there's a, she can get closer to people by looking like a waif. And and it's, it's a testament to the movie that we don't have to see what that entails necessarily. And we don't have to ever look at her in a demeaning way. It's also really funny. Probably the most, you know, you talk about bending over. Um, she does all these crazy flips in a leotard. And so, you know, that's it's somewhat revealing, but it's not a woman, it's a man that's doing mm-hmm. those flips. So it's, mm-hmm. that's sort of funny, too. Anyone who's enjoying that view, like, okay, you know.
2: <laughs> no, uh, and the talk, I, the I, talk I, game was, was good. So I don't.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah, I really. I think the 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 costuming to allow the character to sort of get what they want in a lot of ways. I think that's a good way to put it too. And sort of transitioning a little bit forward, then um, it's it's no, been no secret, you know, one of my favorite characters in the entire series is is Neander Wallace. And sometimes what I watch even more than twenty forty nine, due to both its length and just uh, just the subject matter. I love you know the Nexus Dawn short what i found really interesting that they sort of did with the character of neander and the nexus dawn is and that he's wearing a suit he's wearing a a very a, a black suit yet he still is is showing you know more so than deckard more show than um holden um it's 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 a very well put together dark suit it has the tie is is checkered almost it has different patterns different textures of black and gray to where it was thought out, he, he obviously, although, you know, apparently cannot see himself getting dressed, but there was great care in how he presented himself to those um members of the gar- of the government that was remaining or uh, parliament or whatever. I, I forget what the exact name for the government at the time is there, but, you know, he took great care in presenting himself again in a suit where had he shown up in then his 2049 costume and sort of the more, um, you know, Japanese, um, very minimal outfit, you know, with, without shoes or anything, they would have been like, who's this eccentric weirdo? But yet he showed up in, in sort of their comfort and sort of the, like Jamie's saying, the ruling class, I'm in a suit, I must know what I'm talking about. Um, so I, I love that. And then transitioning that sort of just to try and fit it in quick in this episode without going into it too much is I love how then um, sort of Wallace's overall corporate aesthetic is almost sort of that, again, the Japanese minimal um, sort of dress where you've got the file clerk. And Jamie, you you can correct me since you've interviewed him, but the, the actor, is it Thomas Lamarque, or how do you Lemarquee? pronounce his name? Yeah, Tom you guys Lemarquee? just had... Yep amazing interview with him and he's one of my favorite again going to the background the peripheral characters his outfit is almost very similar to a wallace minimal you know light uh collar almost R- um, Conan. yeah it's it's so fantastic um but again so you know it's kind of that transition of, of costume and the characters i just love how in the nexus dawn you know how Neander dresses. To get his point across and to sort of do that sort of even a little more um, advocacy by instead of coming in as sort of that weird recluse that he describes himself in. But he's he's like, no, look, I can I can look nice like you guys. I can look nice like the ruling class, like you remaining government officials here that I'm trying to convince. So, again, I, I thought that was a great that just. You know, you talking, Christian, about Pris and, you know, her using the costumes for a, a practical advantage for that character.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: I like it. It's just, it's, it's it works on almost every character that you think of.
2: It really does. Um, I feel like 2049 will certainly need a, se- a separate episode. Just talking about love and more about Wallace and what Kay is wearing and what Yoshi, Yoshi is wearing and um, how it fits. How much darker everything is in that movie.
0: Um, oh and this and the, we the sapper outfit the sapper oh, yeah. farming outfit yeah. that, that like underwater to uh oh, I'd, I'd love to just like put that on and just spend a day just kind of gurgling in that in that air <laughs> so cool i love that very outfit. cool
2: yeah. and then to see the replicants at bb's bar you know at the sex bar like what they're wearing and it's very reminiscent of 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 priss honestly um and they're still not like in the best clothes it's still you know Piecemeal together, but those—I certainly think we need a, a a part two to this to discuss how they progressed in you know what is it thirty years later after 2019 and if it works or not because to your point Peter there was there was a couple of articles about the treatment of women and the display of women in 2049 that I think gets right back into the costumes and how the women are portrayed but in my opinion I think some of those early reviews or those early opinions about the women in 2049 were misjudgments i don't think that they were fully understanding this is this wasn't a progressive world that they were this was a digressive world that we were introduced in it wasn't a world where you know um women found their standing it was a world where no women are still looked at as sexual objects or we now make women who are sexual objects only you know which i think is a entirely different conversation but so i think I, we should, oh, yeah right. i think
0: one way to sorry just to kind of wind down you know the the practical end to the episode both on the with also the end of of 2019 i also find it interesting jamie you talking about characters stripping down you know roy Batty's essentially
2: mm-hmm. strips
0: down as well and you know the last scene is him shirtless and sort of bearing himself to to deckard and uh, again it's done in again you know like a lot of movies now even with you know, men, when they take their shirt off, there's always sort of that, of course it's, it's typically from a male director saying, Oh d- girls, aren't you glad you came to see this movie now with him mm-hmm. with the shirt off. But for that scene in 2049, it's again, it, 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 doesn't go there. It doesn't pander to that. It's, it's sort of Roy Batty now laid bare. And, you know, he's, he's stripped himself and almost become, you know, animalistic. He's howling like a wolf and, again just the costuming that just how simple it is and, and sort of black pants and no shirt, and just out there hunting and sort of stalking down deckard but then uh, i don't know how you know where i'm going with that other than just you know i love that scene as well and just it it seems very simple again he's not he's not wearing some weird thing to identify himself as a replicant. There's not, you know, some sort of metal showing in his chest like a Terminator or, you know, some sort of apparatus, you know, connected to his spine or breathing like a Bane in Batman or something. It's just just here's a, you know, a, a man bearing himself to the only person he's found any connection to being Deckard and just, mm-hmm. you know, even even no clothes is a great costume in the Blade yeah. Runner universe
1: but he does have the markings yes he's you know the utilitarian tattoos or whatever they're supposed to be of saying this is where you plug this in this is where you access that and it's not a complete idea and the the camera never really lingers on it but um if you you know once you notice it and you think about if he ever takes his clothes off he's more blatantly not human than he Mm -hmm. was when he was wearing the, the big coat you know um what an incredibly dehumanizing thing it would be to have these markings that are not for you. It's, it's sort of, it's like the Holocaust tattoo. It's the, the way that numbers were are oriented was for the benefit of the Germans who put it there, not for the person who has to have that tattoo for the rest of their life. So similarly, he didn't do this to himself. Anytime he would see himself and see those markings, it's, you're a tool, you're, you have one purpose and in four years you're dead. So even even as an almost nude man, um, we're still, there's, there's still that echo of, is he human? No. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And yet is he? Because he has the most humanity of anyone. And we didn't even get to J- Edward James almost. Oh my God. We didn't. Wait, so we time, I,
2: I do think that we should pick this back up and finish off this discussion with 2019 and head into 2049. Um, when he's
1: dressed as, as uh, Colonel Sanders in 2049.
2: Yeah. <laughs> yeah i mean or we didn't talk about brian either or bryant um and how how he looks compared to even joshi like the very different looks bryant is very traditional in his look in a very traditional office
1: it's the look that peter was talking about like saying decker didn't look like your your you know, on the street cop or whatever. And that's, that is what Bryant does look like with his shoulder holster and his sweat and stains. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's good stuff.
2: It is good stuff. So we're going to leave it there for now. There's so much more to talk to. I feel like I'm cutting this short, but there's just some time constraints tonight. Um, We'll be back with a part two uh in a couple of weeks, Uh hopefully with Christian back on and with Patrick, Patrick had to be away this evening. Um We hope he will be back next time. Um I th- I'm sure he will be. Thank you all for listening. If you want to support the show, go to bladerunnerpodcast.com forward slash support. Sign up for $4 a month. All your, your funds go back into the show, hosting fees, audio dramas, live events, all that kind of thing. So thank you, Christian, for coming on. And we hope to have you back next time. Thank yeah, you so Christian,
0: much. Great, great talking to you.
2: Nice to meet you, Hi, Peter. Yeah, it's fun. If you would like to find out more about Shoulder of Orion, the Blade Runner podcast, please go to www.bladerunnerpodcast.com. If you would like to support the show via Patreon, please go to www.bladerunnerpodcast.com forward slash support. Thank you.